Well, thanks for having me, guys, in the bridge. I'm really excited to be here. I'm Pastor John, if you don't know me. I work with the junior high students. So your brothers and your sisters, the very forgetful people. I've noticed something about junior high students. They're really forgetful. Do you remember when you were in junior high? You forgot everything. You forgot what your name was in junior high. I forgot what my name was in junior high. Anyway, uh, in junior high, they're very forgetful. And one of the things that happens a lot is we go on these retreats. Maybe we're driving in my car. We're going to Six Flags or we're doing something fun. And right when we get in the car, one thing is asked for. They're like, hey, do you have a cord? I need to plug my phone in. Right? I'm at like 8%. I'm like, dude, it's like 7.30 in the morning. How are you at 8%? battery life. You clearly didn't charge it the night before. And then I give it to them. And then, then they're all good. And then that kid needs it. And that kid needs it. Cause everybody forgot to charge their phone. Everybody needs the cord. It's a very powerful, special cord because their phones need power because it doesn't get it from any other source. They need power. Just like your phone needs power in the book of Galatians. What we're going to study tonight. What Paul says is your Christian life needs power. And there's someone who can give that power to you. Ultimately, this power comes through Jesus to live the Christian life. But what Paul says is there's a special person that is able to give you that power. A lot like a, a, a lightning cable giving your iPhone power, the Holy Spirit is called to give us power. But here's the problem. A lot of people forget about the Holy Spirit. Just like a lot of people forget to charge their phone and a lot of people forget their cord, a lot of people forget about the Holy Spirit. And it's no wonder why our spiritual lives might be dead if we've forgotten the Holy Spirit. There's no reason that we should be having a good, vibrant, spiritual life with Jesus if we're forgetting about the Holy Spirit. So we don't want to forget about the Holy Spirit. We want to follow the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're going to look at tonight in Galatians chapter 5. So please grab a Bible. Let's turn open to Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 all the way to 26. I think it's funny. Pastor PJ asked me to preach on this text. He said, hey, why don't you preach on uh, the passage where your dad spent 12 sermons preaching the whole church all, all summer long? Uh, so if it feels like we're going to just blast through the fruit of the spirit, you probably know where this sermon is going. It's because you probably heard 12 sermons on it this summer. So hopefully you guys are at main service and hearing Pastor Mike preach on Galatians chapter five, but we've been in it. And last week, Pastor PJ talked about how the beginning of Galatians five is all about this, that you, if you're a Christian, if you trust in Christ, you've been given a certain level of freedom. And that freedom, you're not supposed to use as a cover up for evil or a cover up for doing whatever you want to do. We're called to use our freedom in Christ to serve Christ and to serve other people in the church. That's where we were last week. And if you remember, the Galatian churches had to be reminded about a couple of things and pretty obvious things that you know from every sermon in Galatians that you've heard Pastor PJ preach, you heard that these Galatians were tempted to walk away from the gospel. And a lot of them wanted to walk away from the gospel and replace the gospel with a set of rules and a set of regulations. Here's the problem. A lot of us, and maybe some of us who are Christians tonight, look at this passage and see a big list, two lists, in fact. And they see lists of rules to please God. And here's what I want to remind you. That is not how we get right with God. It's not. That's the whole message of the book of Galatians. It's not, hey, if you follow these fruits of the spirit, if you try really, really hard, to live out these fruits of the spirit, then you'll be right with God. The power does not come from trying to obey these rules. It comes from Christ and it comes through the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're gonna check out right here. Now look at verse 13. This is the end of the passage from last week, but I think it leads so well into what we're gonna talk about. I wanna read it. It says, for you were called to freedom, brothers, not only to use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out 
that you're not consumed by one another. It's that warning to say, wow, you know what? If our lives are just about fighting with each other, just know this church and multiple churches actually in the region of Galatia, they're just gonna eat each other up. So the beginning of our passage starts with a but. And that's really important because it starts with this contrasting the consuming and devouring one another. Here's what it says. This is a very famous verse, verse 16. It says, but I say, instead of biting, devouring, going after other people, it says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the spirit. What does that word walk mean? It's a very famous word Paul uses. It means to live, peripateo. It means to go down a course in life. And I like the, the illustration and the image because I found out that Pastor Lucas walked to church yesterday morning, okay? Pastor Lucas lives in San Juan, okay? He walked to church. I don't know how, well, he probably didn't actually walk to church. I heard he actually ran to church, okay? Um, He's following some course, following some direction. It's not a straight line maybe, but certainly it's a direction to go. And it's not something you just do once. It's something that when you're walking, if I say, are you walking? Let's say uh, some of you walked home from, from church on the bridge night, I don't know, right? If you're walking home, I said, do you walk home? from the bridge. And if that's something you regularly do, you'd say, yes, I walk home. It's a regular practice of my life. If you've only done it once, you say, well, I just, I walked home once. This passage says, walk by the spirit. That's called ongoing action. So it says, walk by the spirit, live by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It explains what the desires of the flesh are. Verse 17, "For for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. If you are following God's Holy Spirit in your life, you will not be under the law. What does that mean in Galatians? It means condemned under the law, right? If you're a person who's living according to the Holy Spirit's directions and you're following him, not it, but him, if you're following the Holy Spirit, it says you're not condemned, you're not under the law. Verse 19 gives the contrast. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Here's the things that people who, instead of living by the spirit, these are people who are just doing works according to the flesh, right? And before we get into this, it's important to talk about what the flesh is. Flesh means, means the body, right? And it's used figuratively here, just like walk is figurative. It's not literally saying you should walk in a certain direction. It's saying you should live a certain way. In the same way, when the word flesh is used, it's talking about your bodily appetites, the things that people just want to do naturally, or, or another way we put it, your sinful nature, right? There's things that you want to do sinfully, right? And what this is going to say is these are the works that people who, if they're just consumed in whatever they want to do, people who follow their heart, this is what happens. This is the works that end up doing. Verse 19, Just now the works of the flesh are evident, easy for us to see. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. That's a big long list. He says, I warn you, as I warned you before when I was with you, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's not saying those who did such things in the past. It's those who do those things, those who practice ongoing sin, just like you're supposed to walk in the spirit in an ongoing way. It says, if you live in these sinful works in an ongoing way, guess what that says about you? Well, clearly you're not following the spirit. And the negative huge implication here is that you're not even gonna inherit the kingdom of God. You're not even saved. But verse 22, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh along with its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Spirit is the beginning of this section and it's at the end of this section. And it bookends everything that goes on in between. If we're not living by the Spirit, guess what our life is gonna look like? Big, long works of the flesh. Oh, but if we are living by the Spirit, guess what the fruit of the Spirit, the produce that the Holy Spirit is gonna produce in our life? Well, these attitudes of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and all the rest. Then it says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another to anger or envying one another. This whole passage is driving us to one truth. And the one truth is this. If you are going to have a spiritual life that's vibrant, that's obedient, that's in love with Christ, that's serving Christ, if, you are, if your spiritual life is gonna be that way, there's only one source of power that you, have, that you can go to. There's only one source. And that's the source of the Holy Spirit. And the truth is tonight, if like I said at the beginning, your spiritual life is like a phone battery that's on 8% or 6% and you feel it, you know you're running out of battery. There's only one place that you can turn. There's only one person that you can follow and that is the Holy Spirit. We need to derive power from the Holy Spirit. But here's the problem. I said that people forget about their their charging cords. Maybe you've forgotten. I've definitely forgotten my charging cord. Well, I definitely forgot about the Holy Spirit too. And maybe you have as well. And I think one of the reasons we forget about the Holy Spirit is once we start talking about the Holy Spirit, we start thinking of false teaching, right? We think, ooh, the Holy Spirit, like, like at fire or, or rain or like uh, maybe at like Bethel Church where the gold dust comes out of the, the ceiling or whatever. Maybe we think of weird things like that. Where like, ooh, I don't want to talk about the Holy Spirit because I'm always afraid to, to say something wrong about the Holy Spirit. Like, I don't want to be a heretic, right? Don't want to say anything wrong about the Holy Spirit. Well, here's, here's the problem. Uh, the flip side of that, which is more common with people like us maybe, is that we neglect to talk about the Holy Spirit and we forget about the Holy Spirit. So I want us to write this down for point number one. If we're going to get anywhere in this text, we need to understand our relationship with the Holy Spirit. That's point number one. Understand your relationship with the Holy Spirit. Many of us, if I said, what's your relationship with Christ like? How did you become a Christian? You could tell me, oh, well, I became a Christian by repenting of my sins, turning to Christ, and then he saved me. You would say things like, I know the gospel. I know that God is the creator. He's holy. He's just, he's loving, right? But what about the Holy Spirit? What part did he play in your salvation? Also, what part does he play in your life now? He says, you should walk by the spirit. He could have said, walk by Christ, live by Christ, live by the father. But he says, live by the spirit. And if you're doing that, you won't gratify those desires of the flesh. What does it mean to walk by the spirit? Well, first of all, we need to realize in our relationship with the Holy Spirit, that if you want the power to live for God, which by the way, Galatians has been all about if you try to do that on your own, are you gonna fail or are you gonna succeed? If you try to do the Christian life on your own, try to please God, right, can you do it without Christ? Absolutely not. That's the message of the book of Galatians. What this is saying is with sanctification, if you're gonna be more holy, right? do you think that you can be more holy without the Holy Spirit? Absolutely not. It's like what he says earlier in Galatians chapter three, at the beginning of that passage, Galatians three, verse three says, are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now gonna be perfected by the flesh? What that means is, Paul's saying, if, if you became a Christian through the help of the Holy Spirit, and if that's something that he did in your life, right? do you think now, you think you can become more holy, more like Jesus, more spiritually vibrant without the Holy Spirit? Absolutely not. You need the Holy Spirit. I've been talking about the Holy Spirit 
as a person, and I think there's a, a good reason for that. The Bible describes the Holy Spirit as the third person of the Trinity. I want you to write a passage down and maybe turn there if you're fast. John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. John 14, verses 16 and 17. This is when Jesus is about to leave. He says something very controversial before he leaves. And actually chapter 16, he says, it's better for you if I leave, which is a weird statement. I mean, I would rather have Jesus, you know, live where I live and I could just go to Jesus and ask him any questions. And he could give me the perfect answer. Jesus says, it's better for you as Christians if I leave. Because if I don't leave, if I stay, I'll never send you the Holy Spirit. Now, this describes what the Holy Spirit is and what he does. Now, check this out. Verse 16, it says, I will ask the father and he will give you another helper, which means Jesus has so far in these disciples' life acted like the helper, instructed them, taught them. He says, I'll ask this helper to be with you forever, even after I'm gone. It says, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you, okay? That's another important thing for us to think about in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, if you put your trust in Jesus to save you, the Bible clearly teaches that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, doesn't just help you out. He doesn't just live with you. He lives in you. He indwells you, which is this weird theological concept that I want to try to explain with an illustration, but it's not perfect. So please don't call me a heretic. Um, so just bear with me on this, okay? Um, is anyone engaged here? Is anyone engaged to be married? Anybody? No, that was an awkward question. Sorry, that set me up for failure. Um, okay, ladies, you want to be engaged, right? You want to be engaged? Sorry, they're laughing at me. Now I guess they don't want to be engaged. Whatever. Um, let's just imagine you want to be engaged at some point. You want some guy to drop down on a knee. You want him to do something crazy, extravagant. You want flowers. You want whatever you want. Maybe you want a private ceremony because you're too cool for all that stuff. Maybe you want whatever you want, but you want to be engaged. And imagine you are proposed to, you say yes, but he says, okay, this is awesome. Glad we're engaged, but here's the problem. We can't get married for a year. We're going to be engaged for a year. It's going to be a little bit of a long engagement, but I want you to, to, to stay with me. And you, because you love this guy, all that, you're like, of course, I'll, I'll be engaged with you for a year. I, if I had to be engaged for two years, I'd stay with you. If I had to be engaged for three years, I'd dump you. Um, maybe. Uh, but anyway, ladies, you're proposed to. Your fiance, who used to be your boyfriend, now you're his fiance and it's really cool and you're showing everybody the ring and everybody's asking you, how did it happen? And then you come up with the same story that you just regurgitate, you just vomit this story out every time someone asks you. Um, sorry, that was kind of graphic, but that's, that's what happens. Um, and then they ask you, how was the wedding? And then you, then you like say the same three talking points to every person who asks. But anyway, you're proposed to, you're engaged. Now, imagine your fiance says, hey, um, I know that you're moving out of your parents' house right now. Well, we're engaged. We're clearly, we're not going to move in together. How about we do this? You know, my sister actually needs someone to live with. She's moving out of the house too. Do you think that you two could be roommates? Well, this is why the illustration doesn't work for guys, okay? Um, because guys, if your uh, fiance's brother wanted to live with you, the answer is no. That's just too weird, okay? Um, but maybe you ladies would like, you'd be like, yeah, of course, we're going to be sisters. We're like sisters already, sisters, right? We're sisters-in-law, right? Of course, we'd like to live with each other and it's great, okay? So now, not only are you engaged, 
to your, your, your wonderful dashing fiance, you're also living with your fiance's sister, okay? Which can get a little bit awkward maybe uh, because, hey, who, who knows your fiance better? <laughs> you or their sister, right? Maybe don't ask that question. But if you think about it, well, your, your fiance's sister has lived with your fiance your whole life, their whole life, right? Maybe they're 22 years old. They've lived with, with your fiance for, for, for 20 plus years. They know all about him. They know the weird things he does with his toothbrush. They know all the weird things that are his habits. They know what he likes, what he doesn't like. And now you're living with this person who's actually able to help you get married. Not help you get married in the sense that he's the one doing it or that she's the one helping you, but in that you've got all these little habits and things that you do that if you listen to your fiance's sister, who's now your roommate, you could get some pro tips and you could slide into marriage and you'd be a better wife than you would have been before. But that's going to take you listening, submitting in a sense to what your fiance's sister, your new roommate has to say about you. And it might get annoying and it might get hard, but that's the only way for you to know more about what it's like to live with them forever by living for a year with this roommate. I think you see where I'm going with this though. Jesus is said to be the church's groom. The bride of Christ is the church, right? And we're in an engagement period right now. And Jesus says that he's gone, but it's good because he'll send us a helper. Now, as weird as this sounds in this illustration, right? The Holy Spirit is like your fiance's sister, ladies. Right? That's why I said, don't call me a heretic, okay? This is, don't, don't take this too far, right? You, you know, the Holy Spirit and Jesus aren't brothers, right? So we're not Mormons. So um, that's why I said, don't take it too far. Um, but here's the thing. If you were wise, you would listen and you would learn about life with your fiance through life with your new roommate. Maybe there's things in your life that would change because you'd be more pleasing to your future spouse because you listen to this person's advice and help. Well, that's what it's like for us to live in this world, engaged to Jesus, but without Jesus around the corner. To live in this world, being corrected and changed and helped to be more like Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, how does he do that? How does Jesus have the Holy Spirit change our hearts. That's what we haven't even got to. I want you to write down this passage, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. These are also some famous verses. Maybe you know what they say. If I asked you the question, theology question, who wrote the Bible? All right, what would you say? Shout it on. Who wrote the Bible? That's good. That's good. You're like, yeah. What was that? No, nobody. Okay. <laughs> I, I just heard a voice, right? Um, another thing, the Holy Spirit, it's not a voice. Um, but who wrote the Bible? Okay. The answer is the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. Okay. Did the father write the Bible? Did the son write the Bible? Did the Holy, well, the Holy Spirit is credited in a special way with writing the Bible. Here's what it says in second Peter chapter one, verse 20. It says, knowing first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, okay? If you wanna know what the Holy Spirit has to say about your life, there's one thing that you should do. Open your Bible, open your Bible. And now you might say, well, I'm just not spiritually growing like maybe I once was, right? I need some spiritual renewal. I need some rejuvenation. There's something that's wrong. Here's a question. Are you opening your Bible? Are you opening your Bible every day? Now, I'll go a level deeper. Are you opening up the Bible 
with the prayer to God, please have your Holy Spirit show me where I'm deficient, to show me where I need to grow. It's like James 4 too. We don't have because we don't ask sometimes when it comes to spiritual growth. That is how that you will relate with the Holy Spirit in an appropriate way is if you are in your Bible and not just in your Bible, glancing over the words, forgetting about it, but marinating in it, staying in it, abiding in it, remaining in the Bible and caring about it. That's how the Holy Spirit teaches us. It taught the disciples in a special way by giving them the words to write down, as it says in 2 Peter chapter one, but he teaches us too through the Holy Spirit. He says, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Well, that's an important thing for us to talk about. That's the whole point, right? If we understand our relationship with the Holy Spirit, that now the Holy Spirit indwells us and now we're learning from the Holy Spirit and we're trying to get along with the Holy Spirit like we're roommates learning from the Holy Spirit. Well, what's with this all, this desires of the flesh thing? I think it's pretty easy to understand. You probably already know, this isn't a very complicated Bible thing, but the desires of the flesh are the things that we want that are sinful things that we want that are sinful. What are some of those things? He gives this big long list that he's about to say, but just know, he says, if you're walking by the spirit, guess what you can't do at the same time. You can't gratify the desires of the flesh. You're doing one or the other. You're either walking by the spirit and listening to the spirit and following the Holy spirit and being given life by the Holy spirit, or you're not. And you're gratifying your desires. And you're saying yes to your sin. When you know that you should be saying no, but you're saying yes. You're holding on to a little bit that bitterness. You're starting that gossip that you know you shouldn't. You're continuing in those bad words. You're continuing in that lust because you're not walking by the spirit. You're gratifying the desires of the flesh. You're feeding your desires. Can't do both at the same time. Look what happens when people give full control to their flesh. It's that big long list, right? Verses 19, 20, 21. It's important for us to go through those just to see what they are. But I just want you, before we go through those and before we write down the second point, just want you to realize the um, very scary words that come at the end of this list. It says, those who practice these things, those who do these things, they won't inherit the kingdom of God. Right? I've been talking about um, this relationship with the Holy Spirit, assuming something about the people who are listening. And it's that they actually have a relationship with Jesus, that they actually know Christ. But here's the thing. If we look at this list and you say, yeah, this actually characterizes my life really well. Like all the stuff that's going on, all the stuff that's out of control, like that's what my life's all about. Here's the thing. Then this is at this point in time, if you were to die, you wouldn't inherit the kingdom of God. The Bible gives a very clear remedy to that to own up to our sin, to recognize that, yes, this is me. These are the desires of the flesh and I've been living for them. And I need to turn to Christ because he'll forgive every last one of my sins. It's important for us to get. But if we are Christians, we look at this list and we see some things that might've popped up this week, right? Rivalry, sexual immorality, envy, divisions. Maybe some of those things have been popping up in your life, even as a Christian. Here's the thing. Those are works of the flesh that, the desires for those don't go away when you become a Christian, right? That's just basic Christianity 101. What are we supposed to do? As Christians, this is what we need to do. Point number two, we need to refuse to obey our fleshly feelings. Refuse to obey your fleshly feelings. I mean, the verses before are so clear. There's like this war that's going on, that you have these desires of the flesh, your desires for sexual immorality, 
your desires for overeating, your desires to make yourself look good, your desires of pride, all these desires that it says are against the spirit and they're opposed to one another. And that when we're living out these desires of the flesh and giving full control to them, the spirit's got no room in our life. I think there's, in this list, there's four categories of sin and people have tried to break these up before and I think it's just helpful to break these up into different categories. And the first category here, we got three words, immorality, impurity, and sensuality, these works of the flesh, okay? What this is basically is out of control sexual desires, okay? That's maybe it'd be good for us to write down, out of control sexual desires. That's the first fruit of the flesh or works of the flesh. Immorality right? comes from the word that we get the word pornography today. Pornea is the Greek word, right? That gives us a good sense of what immorality looks like today, doesn't it? Immorality. Those are the works of the flesh. Also impurity. That means uncleanness, doing things that are unclean, that are wrong, that we just know in our hearts, ah, oh, that's, that's wrong. I mean, maybe we're not having sex, but maybe we're doing things in our relationship that's just, it's just wrong. I know it's wrong. That's what impurity means. Sensuality. That word means just not having any control, just going after whatever object of sexual desire we have and just pursuing it head on. That's what sensuality means. These out of control sexual desires. It says, if we walk by the spirit, we're gonna, we're gonna put these away. We're gonna put these to death. Are the desires gonna remain there? Yeah, they're gonna remain there. That's, that's the sad part about living in this body, this fleshly body that wants aberrant sexual desires. It wants perverted sexual desires. You're always gonna want that, but here's the thing. You're going to have to put those desires to death. That's the first category. The next category is out of control idolatry. Okay, there's two words here, idolatry and sorcery. And you might think, ooh, like Harry Potter. Uh, no, uh, that's not the sorcery that this is talking about. Actually, the word sorcery um, is the word pharmakia, okay? Which you know as pharmacy, right? It's that word that led us to, you know, the pharmacies where you get drugs. Now, um, it's not saying that sorcery is taking Tylenol, okay? But here's what they did in the ancient world. When they went to go to the temple, you know why people wanted to go to idolatrous temples? It wasn't because they thought it was like a really cool building. It was because they could have whatever sex they wanted. It's because they did drugs, right? Because they, they took hallucinogenic drugs, right? So even though we might not have temples today that are committed to pagan gods, we certainly worship those things, don't we? Our world is all about pushing those desires. And also what, what sorcery, the root of sorcery uh, in this context is taking drugs to alter your state, right? I think you can, you can see the parallel today, right? These desires have not gone away. These works have not gone away. They're just a little bit different idolatry, you know what that word means. It just means putting anything above God, right? And what we like to do as sinful fleshly people who have desires, we put anything in front of God. It's not that we just have one or two things that we put above God. Our temptation is to put everything before God, to put everything before prayer, right? Has that been a struggle for you? Maybe put everything before prayer. I've heard somebody say, if uh, you want to remember your to-do list, just start praying and then you'll remember everything uh, that you haven't done that day, right? Um, but that's a temptation, right? When you start to pray and you want to pray and you talk to God, then it's like, oh, well, I'm going to put everything ahead of God. That's, a, that's idolatry. That's putting things above God. That's making new gods. Out of control sexual desires, out of control idolatry. The third thing is this big long list, these out of control attitudes, okay? These are about relationships back and forth. A few words here. Enmity, okay? Enmity means a hateful attitude that you have for somebody else. It says we need to put that away. doesn't matter what they've done. doesn't matter if they deserve it. Hateful attitudes, put away. Strife, right? That's when 
these hateful attitudes bubble up into conflicts. Jealousy. Right? That one's pretty easy for us to understand. But uh, I think in the age of social media, we don't realize how jealous we actually are. We look at things that people have and we're jealous. We look at relationships that people have and we're jealous. Look at things that people do and friendships and all those things. We get jealous. Just jealousy, coveting. Also fits of anger, right? That's a relationship thing, right? Fits of anger where it's not just you're a little upset and then you let it go. That These are explosions of anger. That's a fruit of the, the flesh. Also three words that basically mean the same thing. Rivalries, dissensions, and divisions. That's when you're making unnecessary teams, usually stirred up by gossip or something that happened. The last one, envy. That, that means hating someone because of what they have. Right? You ever caught yourself in your heart hating someone else for something that they have? Maybe something that you thought that you should have, a job that you thought you should have, a college you thought that you should go to and that they don't deserve to be at? That's called envy. You see how common that this still is? not just in our church, not just in our ministry, but even in our own hearts, these desires of the flesh, they don't go away. The last two might not sound like this. The first was sexual desires, idolatry, attitudes. The last category is out of control partying. That's what the last two are about. They're about going to parties, okay? Out of control partying. What does it say? Drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Paul's like, I got to the end of my rope. Like I, got, I gave the worst thing I could give and then now I'm just gonna bail after that. Like all things like these, stuff that happens in out of control parties. Do you think that maybe in your heart and in your friend's heart and maybe even in this ministry, if we let these desires run rampant, you think we're maybe gonna get ourselves in a little bit of trouble? Absolutely. Certainly we can't live by the spirit if we're giving these, these desires all, all these space. Paul said something in Romans 13, 14, it's very similar to this. He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Make no provision for it. Don't give it any food. Don't feed these desires. Because it's easy in your mind to say, well, I'm not hating them, but I, I'm a little bit bitter. And I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna replay this thing that they did in my mind. I'm gonna tell my friends, hey, can you believe what they did to me? And then you're, you're, you're feeding bitterness and you're feeding dissensions and you're feeding rivalry. This says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and stop feeding your sin. Stop it. You get surprised that you fall into sexual immorality. Well, it's because you fed it. We're surprised there's maybe a division in your small group. Well, it's because it was fed by our envy. We need to stop feeding desires for sin. It reminds me of something that happened to me in the pandemic back when everyone was hanging out at home. I, um, I like to play golf. I'm a golfer. Um, <laughs> stupid. Um, but I do. And I set up this thing in our garage where, guys, I had a putting green. I had a ruler that I would like putt on to try putt straight line. And I had a space to put a camera to record my putting. Guys, it's really sad. Um, you get married, you turn into a stupid person. Um, but uh, no, that's not what makes me stupid. Not my wife. My wife's like, you, you, hey, you stop spending so much time in the garage putting. Um, I was in there one night and something traumatic happened to me. Um, I was in there and I was working at the workbench in there putting and I heard footsteps. <laughs> These are not human footsteps. These were the footsteps of a rat, okay? I, I was like working at this workbench. It was up against this wall and in the wall, I just heard like rats running up and down. 
and I just like got all freaked out. And I was like, this is not good. I'm out. I'm going back upstairs. So there were rats, okay? I can't confirm it, right? Except the next day I actually did confirm it. I opened up the garage and guess what runs out of our garage just right between my legs, right? Disgusting rat, okay? I don't know your feelings about this, right? I just think rats are gross. Um, can we, can we just find common ground there? They're pretty gross. Unless you have a, a pet rat or something. You're one of those type of people. You have snakes and spiders too at your house maybe. Um, no offense to you, snakes and spiders people. <laughs> but hopefully you're never going to give a rat food. When that rat was in my garage, I wasn't thinking, yeah, you know what? This is really cool. Science experiment. I'm going to give it some cheese. I'm going to see how fat I can get this rat. Um, never had that thought. You know why? Because I hate rats. It's disgusting. I was freaked out. I literally went upstairs out of fear of this stupid little animal because I was afraid. And I was like, I just want to get out of here. I left, right? I fled. Here's the deal. I never thought about laying food out for this rat because it's gross and it didn't belong there. When it says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. What it's saying is don't make a meal for your flesh because right? it, doesn't, it doesn't belong there. Right? We have desires to do things that are wrong. Here's what, what God's word says. Don't make a meal for it. Just like it's stupid to leave cheese and crackers out for a rat that'll just get bigger and repopulate and take over your garage. If you let your desires stay there in your heart and you're not putting them to death, you're not putting them away, it's gonna get dangerous, really, really dangerous, really fast. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. What does that mean? putting these things to death, just saying we're, we're done with them. And now I, I might be catching you at a point where you're saying, okay, well, I, I, ha, I, know what my, I know what my bad fleshly desires are. I just don't know how to stop. You ever been in that position? Right. Maybe you were not that position before you were a Christian and you're thinking back, well, I had all these desires and I just could not stop them. I just was helpless. They just took over my life. Now go back to the idea of what are we talking about here in Galatians chapter five? Power, right? Power from who? From the Holy Spirit. Power that you didn't have before you were a Christian. Power that your non-Christian neighbor does not have. You have power. You have access to that power through the Holy Spirit where you can say no to any sin. You can actually repent. You can actually turn. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. It's helpful as we move into these fruits of the spirit, right? Well, how are we gonna produce the fruits of the spirit, right? I said the fruit of the spirit's not a big list of do's and don'ts, right? It's not this big list of things, but if you do these, you know, your life's gonna be great, right? Some people teach the fruit of the spirit that way. That's, that's, not how, that's not how this passage is presenting it. You ever think about fruit? What is fruit? It's a weird concept, what fruit is. If you think about it, you ever think about what you eat? No, I'm the only one. Okay, so fruit is weird. It grows on a tree and like it was a, a seed and then it was a tree and then it like mulch and then water and farmers I've never met. And then boom, I'm eating a banana. Like, how does that work? That's a weird thing. Okay. If you asked a person, Hey, um, if you asked a farmer, how do you produce fruit? They'd say, okay, well, here's how you do it. You got to, you have to get the soil ready. You got to get the water ready. You got to get all this stuff ready. And then you watch it grow. But they say, no, no, no. Like, how do you actually produce the fruit? Right? They're like, well, like, I just make the space available for the fruit to be produced. Like I don't, like I can't like give it life. I don't, I don't control life. I can try to control the variables and try to get it in the right position, but I'm not the one giving the life. Here's the thing, fruit of the spirit. It does not say the fruit of you trying really hard. If that was it, then 
we're talking about the fruit of the flesh. The fruit of the spirit is the result. It's the attitudes that happen when you're walking by the spirit. Okay. What's the command in this passage? Is it work really hard to be loving, work really hard to be patient, work really hard to be kind. That's not the command. The command is walk by the spirit. And this is what's going to happen. This is the attitudes that will change in your heart. If you're walking by the spirit and getting to know the spirit and keeping up this relationship with the spirit. The end of this passage says, if we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. That's something that has to do every single day. Not something we do once, not something we do when we get saved and we forget about. No, it's something that happens all the time. Point number three, I'd love for you to write this down. We need to submit to the spirit's leadership every day. We need to submit to the spirit's leadership every day. We already talked about how the spirit is the person we got to follow. He indwells us. We need to follow his lead. A lot of people get this confused. They think, well, I just need to listen, wait, listen for the Holy Spirit. Maybe he'll say something in my ear, right? If you do hear voices, you're probably taking some pharmacia, okay? Uh, probably some sorcery happening there. Uh, that's not where you get your words from the Spirit. Where do you get your words from the Spirit, right? Second Peter 1 says, these are right here. That's even when Jesus was talking to the disciples. Peter said, you have the words of life. And Jesus has the words of life. So, how do we submit to the Spirit's leadership? Well, when we're told to stop something, guess what we do? We stop something, okay? When we're told to, hey, we need to start doing something. God's word's very clear. We need to start doing something. Guess what we need to actually start doing? We need to actually do that thing. If I talked about the command to pray, I said, hey, does the Bible say we have to pray? Does it say we have to pray? Yeah, I mean, we could make that case. Luke 18, Matthew 6. Yeah, the Bible says we have to pray. When you pray, not if you pray, right? James 4, you have not because you asked not. Okay, so the Bible says we have to pray. Here's a question, are we praying? Great question. Um, you might say, well, I know I'm supposed to, but I, I don't know if I do. Like, oh, that's kind of the struggle, right? That's because there's a war happening. That's what Galatians 5 says. It says that there's a war of your, your flesh and its desires and the war of the Holy Spirit. But one of you is gonna win. Keep in step with the Spirit. It reminds me of a being in a band. Okay. I was in a band once. Um, not a cool band. Well, although, well, never mind. Uh, I was in a band at La Paz Intermediate School. Anybody else join me at La Paz Intermediate School? Anybody out there? Yeah, no. Okay. Well, some leopards. I say, sorry, that's junior high. I say it in junior high and all, all the people from La Paz are like, yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, so anyway, at La Paz, I was in a band. Okay was not in a cool band. I was in like band band, you know? Um, so I played drums. I, I, uh, I'll never forget the day I told my dad, I don't want to play trumpet like you. Um, that was a weird day. You know what? We're not even going to get into that day. Um, ask me later. But I said, I want to play drums. So I started playing drums in seventh grade and I played drums at church and stuff. And, but I remember that playing drums in the band was really hard because you always had to look up. And I remember the band director said, always look up because he's giving the tempo right? And I'll forget how he does it, but how he did it, right? He's giving the tempo. My job was to keep in step with what he was giving me direction for, right? If I looked down, if I looked away, I would get off tempo, right? And same thing today, right? If you're in a band and you're playing drums, like that's the worst instrument to get off tempo on, right? You never want to get off tempo because if you get off tempo, the whole band's all messed up. Here, here's what this means. When we keep in step with the spirit, it means that whenever the spirit directs us to do something from God's word, guess what we're doing? We're, we're on it, we're not waiting three days to obey. We're not waiting until next week or next year to obey. We're on it. We're just keeping in step with the Spirit. When the Spirit is showing us lack of love in our hearts for other people, 
immediately when the, when the Holy Spirit convicts us, we're like, yeah, I'm on it. I'm all about that because my, my direction is your direction. I'm, I'm following you. I'm doing what you want to do. If I say submit to the Spirit's leadership every day, that is a hard thing to do. And I'm not trying to say that this is something that I do perfectly or anybody else does perfectly, but I want you to turn to one passage tonight. I haven't turned you anywhere, but I want you to turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, and I want you to see something amazing. We get a promise here that is, is one of the most amazing promises in all the Bible. I think it might be um, second best, maybe only to if we confess our sins, God's faithful and just to forgive us. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3, famous verse, it says, blessed, oh no, wrong book, that's 1 Peter, Second um, Peter says his divine power, God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You see where it says he gives us some of the things we need, but then we need to ask for more later on, right? Doesn't say that. Right? Does it say he gives us um, some Holy Spirit juju and then we, we, can, we can ask for some more later and then we get a little vibes and we're good, right? No, it doesn't, obviously. Bible doesn't use the word juju. Um, I don't even know what that word means. Um, but you know, vibes, right? Um, he says his divine power has granted to us all things, all things. So right now, if you're a Christian, here's what this passage says. You have all things that you need to obey God, period. You have it, right? That's why I, I've heard preachers say, you know what? You shouldn't ask God for, for more help obeying his word. He's given you his spirit. If he's given you his spirit, he's given you what you need for life and godliness. How? How does he give it? Well, through the knowledge of him, who called us in his own glory and excellence, by which he's granted to us his very precious and great promises, so that through them, you might become partakers of the divine nature. You might be like God. Does it say that you become a God and you rule your own universe? No, that's not the point. But you partake in the divine nature. Right? This is a weird, almost mystical thing. But when you become a Christian, right, God gives his Holy Spirit, the third person, the person of the Holy Spirit to you, and when you're obeying him, you're like partaking. You're drawing power from the Holy Spirit. That, that's incredible. That's amazing. You draw power. You become partakers of his divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of the last two words, sinful desire. You can swap that out for the desires of the flesh because you're escaping the desires of the flesh. The only way you're going to have power in your Christian life is if you're saying no to your desires of the flesh and saying yes to following Christ and following specifically the lead of the Holy Spirit. You might say, well, I did that at one point. I've been doing that, but then it gets hard, right? Need some motivation? The Bible gives us a lot of motivation to follow Christ. Here's one of the things, um, little pieces of motivation to walk by the Spirit tomorrow when you don't want to to open up your Bible tomorrow morning and talk to God when you don't want to, when you're tired. Here's a little bit, right? Here's just one thing. Jesus died for you, okay? That's the end of the sermon, let's pray, right? Um, Jesus died for you. Like that, that is, think about it. Jesus, the God-man, came to earth for you, lived for you, and then died for you, okay? And, and we don't want to open our Bibles tomorrow morning, right? It makes us feel foolish, right? It makes me feel foolish just saying that. All the times that I don't want to follow God and he's died for me, it's just foolish. We need to knock it off. Right? In some ways, right? I know th this sermon has a lot of carrot and a lot of stick to it, and that might be the stick part. Right? We just need to, we need to start living by the Spirit. We need to start following the Spirit. Hebrews 12 says, we've been surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. We've seen people before us, not just the God-man Jesus, but we've seen other Christians go before us. 
And what they did is they showed us an example. They laid aside every weight and sin, and sin that clings so closely. And the author of Hebrews says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. If you need motivation to follow the spirit's lead, we need to look to Jesus. And that's what the book of Galatians has been all about, huh? Don't follow this list of rules, right? And I hope you see that the fruit of the spirit is not a list of rules that if you accomplish these things, then you'll be saved. That is just upside down thinking. The fruit of the spirit is this is what happens. These are the attitudes that happen when you and I walk by the spirit. Got to remember why Paul calls these fruit. Fruit grows because God grows it. Certainly farmers work hard, but God provides the fruit. Pastor Mike, in this series, as we've been going through in main service, he's talking about the fruit of the spirit. He talked about our lives and he said, imagine your life is like a vineyard, right? It's a little Isaiah 5 imagery. Imagine your life is a vineyard and the fruit that you produce in your life, the good works, the things that God calls us to do, that's like the stuff that's pleasing to God, that God's gonna take and he's gonna be pleased with your life. Not in a salvific way, not, oh, you gotta produce all these fruits and then God will save you. But no, as his new creation, as Romans 8, 13 to 14 says, where it says, those who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. Those who follow the spirit, they're God's kids. It says, if your life is like that vineyard and that belongs to God, make sure that you're keeping the weeds out. Make sure that you're keeping the walls up. Make sure that you're not letting the desires of the flesh that will naturally just pop up, let them run rampant. It just is not gonna be a successful week living for Christ if we're letting our desires run rampant. I know it's a hard thing, but I think we have the motivation by looking to Christ. I also think we have the power. You have the power, right? Not in you, because you don't have much power, because you know what it's like to try to live for God before you're a Christian, right? It just, it, it stunk. You couldn't do it, right? But when you did it through the power of the Holy Spirit that he gave you this power, it's totally different. My fear is, like I said at the beginning, maybe we've forgotten about the Holy Spirit. Maybe we've forgotten about the Holy Spirit and that's why we're running low on battery. We need to remember the Holy Spirit. We need to follow the Holy Spirit this week. So let's pray that God would help us do that this week. Let's pray. God, thank you for making things so clear in your word that we need to follow your spirit. You know that it's so clear that if we let our lives um, be controlled by the desires of the flesh, the desires we have to go first, the desires we have to be successful or popular, the desires we have for even just sinful, bad things, immoral things. I pray that every person who hears my voice, especially everyone who's saved, everybody who trusts in you, I pray that they would resolve again, resolve tonight to walk by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, follow your instructions. That starts out by us turning to your word. It starts out by us living in your word, abiding in your word, learning from your word and having our minds and hearts transformed by your word. I know that that's something that only you can do. Talk about power, it has to come from you. We cannot muster up some own, our own power. Know that this comes from you and I just pray that we would not miss out on all the untapped potential that you have for us as Christians. Pray that we'd walk by the spirit. You'd help us not gratify the desires of the flesh this week.